everybody, and welcome back to From Complex to Queens, Amazing Avenue's Minor League Podcast. I'm Steve Saipa, and I'm joined this week by Lucas Vlahos, Ken Levin, and Thomas Henderson. How's everybody doing this week? Pretty good. I'm doing alright. How are you doing? I made Better my own tortillas me. today, and they weren't a disaster, so you know, not, not bad. Alright, well, that's good. Mm-hmm. We're all doing better than the Dodgers, so. Ooh. <laughs> Chris Taylor wants to go. Who feels worse about that play, Chris Taylor or Will Smith? I would have to say Taylor. I think he is more to blame with all of that. So, yeah, I would agree because, like, that's a much more – like, catchers will miss a catch when they're going for that fast tag. Like, that happens. Yeah. That You don't just boot a ball in the center field like that. Not good. And, like, right. you're so focused on the ball, you're not seeing that he fell. Yep. Yeah, I think that's the best part of the play. I remember when it was happening, and you see a Rosarena just, like, basically caught in the rundown, or, or what looked to be a rundown, and I was like, what the hell just happened to him? <laughs> and they show the replay, and it's like, he legit just fell. Like, excuse me, you've got to say a Rosarena like you're singing the Macarena, like uh, Jeff Passan says he does. <laughs> All right, so uh, extend, promote, trade. And on today's date in 1967, Mohammad Reza Pahlavi, the Shah of Iran, he officially declared himself the Shah Shah, the King Where of the Kings. Where the hell are you going emperor. with this? <laughs> All right, well, he's obviously Iranian as the Shah of Iran, and there's yet to be a baseball player from Iran. But there is currently uh, a baseball player who's pretty good, who's partially Iranian. You Darvish, right? Yes, Sefat Farid Yudarvish is his actual name. And if you didn't actually know that, you probably wouldn't guess that he is Iranian. So, who are we going to promote, extend, or trade of these other players that have ethnicities that you would not realize at first glance? First, we have the half-Brazilian, Beau Bichette. Then we have the half-Vietnamese, Danny Graves. Really? uh Uh-huh. And then the half Argentinian, Anko Lin. I feel like I've huh. heard that one before. The Danny Graves one, I had no idea. Yep. He's, his family was from Saigon. They huh. left, left obviously because of circumstances. <laughs> yeah, yeah, certain, certain, uh, conflicts. I mean, there's a bunch of guys that are of certain nationalities that would just happen to be born in other places but all of these guys are actually you know they have a parent a mother father grandparent whatever that are that ethnicity so therefore they are as well hmm. so however you want to categorize these guys in terms of performance or in terms of how shocked you are that they have this ethnicity in them or whatever but Easy call to extend Bichette, I yeah. think. Because that's both surprising and also I think he's probably the best player here. Yeah, agreed. No only has like 400 major league plate appearances or whatever. Uh, but they've been good. Um, flip a coin. I mean, Graves definitely super surprising, so I'll, I'll, I'll uh, promote him. Mets legend, Danny Gray. True. <laughs> True. Yep. What was he on the Mets? Like, 
Oh five. Oh five for like two minutes, right? Yeah, he was bad and got DFA'd. Yeah, it sounds uh, sounds about right. <laughs> One of many. He had a five eight nine ERA with the Mets, according to Wikipedia. So. That's uh, actually apparently better than whoever else he played with that year, because his ERA <laughs> for the season was six five two, <laughs> with equal number of strikes, uh, strikeouts, and walks. That's uh, I almost said strikes and walkouts. walkouts. I love good walkout. I love. <laughs> I mean, technically, it could be a walkout. You are walking out of the box to the next base, so. Yeah, but you also walk out of the box when you, you when you strike out, unless you're brand, and you walk when you walk too, unless you're right. Brandon Nimmo um, and you sprint to first base. Yeah, it was pretty, uh, pretty interesting finding like, all these guys who. I mean, there's a lot more guys that have, like I was saying before, that were born in other countries and therefore, you know, could be considered, depending on the jurisdiction and laws and everything, citizens of those countries. But there's some real wacky ones out there. Uh, a dude has his birthplace. This is an all-time baseball player, but if you go to Baseball Reference and you go to, like, birthplaces and everything like that, the dude has his birthplace listed at sea. And he's the only <laughs> only baseball player to have been born at sea. You could do that. Did you ever play for the Pirates? <laughs> that would be fun. You could put your guy, your Road to the Show person's uh, birthplace at sea in Road to the Show. Hell yeah. Really? Yeah. It's considered, um, like, so when you first start a player, like, you start playing, like, regional games, like, you'll play on the East or West or Central team, and that's the international team. So, <laughs> so like, it's, it's international with, like, people from, like, European and Latin American countries, and then it's, like, my at sea dude. Is like <laughs> it's like batting cleanup. <laughs> That's good. So, clean what, they, do they have like a flag thing there? Is it just a yes? They do. It's it's. I don't remember what it is specifically, but there's a flag for it. <laughs> well, next uh, next time there's some uh, draft eligible prospect that's born at sea, uh, first overall pick. I don't really care about the talent level. You know, <laughs> got to take them. Yep. Sorry, those are the rules. <laughs> All right, um, let's move over now to CPBL, KBO, and NPB. And we'll start off with the Union Lions, and they had one hell of a week. Um, they had two games, and basically both of them were must-wins in order to keep their playoff chances alive. So in the first game, Tim Melville, he shut down the Fubon Guardians. He threw a complete game shutout. It was definitely... Shades of Johan in 20, uh, 2008. Um, you know, Tim Melville, too soon. Tim Melville is no Johan Santana, obviously, but he was kind of big name that the team brought in to shore up their pitching, and he did just that. And in this game, he, you know, basically took the team on his back and carried them to the end zone. And he was pitching uh, against Henry Sosa for the Guardians, and Sosa's a pretty good pitcher in the CPPL, so it was basically it was a pitching duel because Henry Sosa threw eight strong innings himself. So the only two runs in the game came in the seventh inning when center fielder Chi Shen Chen, he, he missed basically a home run by a couple of inches, and he drove in two guys with the double. And so basically when Nailville got that last out, the Lions clinched a playoff berth. Um, depending on... What they would do in their next and final game would de- would depend, uh, you know, w- would influence um, how 
they get into the playoffs. So in the final game, they played against the CTCB brothers, and they won. So they became the second-half champs, and they are playing those same brothers in the Taiwan series uh, in a couple of days from now. Uh, in that second game, Teddy Stankovic, he was like the star of the game. He threw five-plus innings of, of relief, and he kept the games tied at 1-1. He worked in and out of a few jams, but he kept the lines in the game, and he gave them you know, plenty of time to score. And in the sixth inning, they finally did. Shortstop Young-Chi Chen Mayar Siru, he drove in the go-ahead run. And then second baseman Chung-Ting Chen, he drove in an insurance run. And that insurance run would be really important because the brothers scored a run of their own in the eighth to make it 3-2. And then closer Yun-Wen Chen, he pitched the ninth, and he ran into some trouble. And basically, it came down to their runners in the corners with two outs. And the brothers had their veteran DH, Zhu Chi Chow, come to the plate, and he just happened to be their best hitter. He's uh, a 324 here with 22 home runs this year. So... They definitely had their best guy at the plate, but he just swung at one pitch. He grounded at the first pretty easily, and the Lions won the second half. So obviously, Chi Chen Chen is the hitter of the week because of that clutch double, and Tim Melville is pitcher of the week because of that Johan-like shutout on the second-to-last uh, game of the year. That one shutout's crazy. Yeah. Like, no matter where you are. Yep, yep. One bad thing, though, that happened in these last two games is that Anko Lin failed to hit a home run. So, Aww. yeah, he's ending the regular season one home run shy of the club record. And probably he hadn't, he hasn't hit a home run in like three weeks. So, jeez. It sucks. But at the same time, he did hit 310, 395, 590 with 32 homers in the regular season. And he's probably going to be the unanimous rookie of the year. And, might even be the league MVP when everything's said and done. So it sucks on one hand that he didn't get the club record, but on the other hand, he had uh, an amazing season. Yeah, you win and some, you lose some. Yeah, and don't forget, he's also a two-way player. The Lions didn't want to pitch this year because they wanted to get him acclimated to the league, but he can pitch and hopefully will pitch next season. So his future is yeah, his future's, uh definitely bright i have to say the only thing i could think of during while you're describing this this uh play-by-play here is that freaking interdimensional cable commercial with the two brothers it's two brothers then they had men on the corners (laughs) and then a meteoroid hit i don't think i've ever seen that what (laughs) i don't think i've ever seen that someone can thomas help me here please You've all left me out to dry. What commercial? The the commercial for Rick and Morty Interdimensional Cable. Yeah, it's with, it I it's um it's like a movie series that they do in Rick and Morty, like a fake one. Okay, and, so I've only had watched like a handful of the oh, Because there's an episode where he gets the the interdimensional remote, and they just spend it. They spend the day like watching interdimensional TV. <laughs> that does sound pretty awesome, though. It's great. It's yeah, one of the I highly recommend it. Yeah, I love that episode. All right. Um, next up now are the LG Twins, and they went two and one with a tie, so that puts them at seventy nine, fifty nine, and four on the season. Uh, but they did clinch a playoff spot, so um, that's good. 
the thing is, though, even if they're perfect between now and the end of the season uh, next week, they still can't bump the Dinos out of first place. So the Dinos have their tickets down to the Korea Series. Um, the Twins, they're in second right now, depending on how things go and how they do in the next two games and how the KT Wiz, the Kiwoom Heroes, and the Doosan Bears do. They'll enter the playoffs anywhere between the second seed and the fifth seed. Obviously, second seed is better uh, situation to be in. The way it works is like a, a cascading kind of playoff format where if they end in second place, they're going to avoid the wild card game and the quarterfinals, and they'll automatically start in the semifinals. If they end in third, they're going to avoid the wild card game and start in the quarterfinals. And if they end up in fourth or fifth place, they're going to be one of the two wild card teams, and they have to go through the entire gauntlet. So second place is definitely the best case scenario for them. That's an interesting system, actually. Yeah, I mean, since there's no divisions and there's like ten teams, twelve teams, whatever, so, so yeah, it works. So here's a question, right? Would if MLB is insistent on expanded playoffs, I wonder if that's a better way to do it, so the higher higher seeded teams are still uh uh given an advantage, given a reward for playing better during the regular season, you know? Yeah, there's actually incentive to be good. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. I also wonder though if like and it doesn't matter. That's true. I wonder if like you don't pitch for you don't play for two weeks and then all your pitchers are rusty or something though. Like maybe that's a trick. I don't know. Yeah, I mean that could be, but you know how they are in Asia. They'll be throwing you know nine hundred pitch bullpens anyway. So. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, so center fielder uh, Cheng Ji Hong is the hitter of the week. He went 4 for 10 with three walks and a homer and a stolen base. And this is the first time that he's been hitter of the week. Um, it's also the first year that he's got extended playing time, too. He was drafted out of Konkuk University in the third round of the 2016 KBO draft. And he missed basically the entire 2017 and 2018 series doing his uh, mandatory military service. So... He finally got back on the field in 2019. He spent most of the time in the minors, you know, shuffling up and down a couple of times, getting to a total of 23 games with the Twins. When the season ended, he went to play in the Australian Baseball League. There's an all-Korean expansion team that the league added in 2018, so he played with them. And he hit pretty well. He hit 333, 465, 496 in 37 games, which is basically the entire season. And that opened some eyes. So manager Jong Il Ryu, he kind of worked Hong into the lineup a bit more. Then as the season progressed, he basically became a, a regular because of injuries to the rest of the outfield and his own performance. And here we are. And, uh, you know, the, the season isn't completely over yet, but majority of it is. And he's hitting 278, 406, 409 with a couple of games left to go. And he's basically one of the better leadoff men in the league because he gets on base a lot. Yeah. Um, he's basically a slash hitter. He goes to the opposite field basically almost as much as he does um, pull pull the ball. So he's limited in the power department. And this is pretty funny. Uh, obviously, I don't speak Korean, so I rely on Google Translate and, you know, how that can be sometimes. So what I think Google Translate was trying to say was that he has a modicum of power, you know, like a little bit. Mm-hmm. But instead, it says that he has Mongolian power. <laughs> he, he, has archer, he has archers on horseback, and he's going to take over Asia, yes. 
I would imagine Mongolian power is probably like a lot though. Like I would describe a slugger as having like Mongolian power. <laughs> but yeah, apparently Hong has Mongolian power. Um, but he gets on base, like I said, a lot. Uh, he doesn't. He he walks a ton. He doesn't strike out excessively. So, you know, as a leadoff man, you know, not driving the ball much more than the occasional homer and some doubles, it's fine. Um, as long as he's getting on base, he's not speedy in the traditional sense. Um, you know, but he picks and chooses his spots pretty well. And in the infield, I have no data on his skill there whatsoever. So either he's legitimately good enough to play center field, he's decent enough to kind of fake it, or he's just terrible and the Twins don't have anybody else. But I'm going to guess that it's somewhere between the first two and not the last. Getting like Nori Aoki vibes from this guy, like slashy hitter. Not much power, walks a little bit, plays decentish outfield. I think Oki is uh, more versatile, is he? Mm. better hitter, a little bit more power. But did Aoki have that much power? Maybe I'm misremembering. In Japan, he is. I mean, he's oh. basically second on the team on the Swallows in homers. Oh, I forgot he's back there now. Right? Yeah. yeah. Nori Aoki and Major League Baseball's vibes, then. How about that? That's, that that could be. I mean, what was he with the Brewers most of the time? He got like his... 10 homers or something? Yeah, like 10 to 15. That yeah. was, sounds about right. And then uh, 2020 regional pick Minho Lee is pitcher of the week. He allowed two unruns, earned runs over six innings in his start, and he scattered four hits, he walked five, and he struck out three. And he may or may not pitch again in the regular season this year. But if he doesn't, he's going to be ending his rookie year with a 374 ERA in 96 in the third innings, allowing 92 hits, walking 42, and striking out 62. So not bad for a 19-year-old rookie straight out of high school. Oh, yeah. You'll take that. Mm-hmm. And finally, we have the Occult Swallows, and they went two and three with two ties this week, which is basically the best that they've done in, like, the entire month of October. Um, they are 38-16-8 on the season, but luckily for them, they didn't lose any ground in the standings this week. They're still just 24 games behind the Omiuri Giants. They're right there. Yep. Mm-hmm. So you're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if there are 24 games left, but if they go 0-24 and the Giants go... I mean, swap that. If the Giants go 0-24 and the Swallows go 24-0, and they might sneak into the playoffs. Put, put your money so on yes, people. So yes, a chance. Yes. <laughs> uh, Munitaka Murakami was the hitter of the week once again. He went 10-22 for 22 with 8 walks, 2 homers, and 9 total RBI. And he is uh, obviously very good. He's in the top three in basically every offensive category. And in theory, the triple crown is in play. He's fourth in the league in batting average. He's 13 points behind the league leader. He's third in homers. He has two behind the league leader. And he's third in RBI, three behind the league leader. So he has a good week or two. The It'll be interesting. Mm. Yeah, it's possible. But then again, we said the same thing about Uncle Lynn. So, so, so we like clearly jinxed that dude. How do we reverse <laughs> j- reverse jinx this time? What do we have to say? I don't, I don't know. No chance. Absolutely none. Yeah, no, it this is. guy's terrible. No, nah, no. Nope. <laughs> nope. 
Uh, much less exciting than Murakami is Pitcher of the Week. 40-year-old veteran, probably not 40-year-old virgin, Masanori Yoshikawa. <laughs> I'm not going to say for certain, but probably not. All right. He is a ball uh, player after all. This so. guy this guy fucks, apparently. <laughs> Am I allowed no. to say that? Yeah, whatever. He, uh... He certainly was in the game that he pitched this week. He he gave up one run against the Giants, so that's pretty good, over six innings. And he scattered three hits, he walked two, and he struck out five. So, not bad for the old dude. And speaking of old dudes, Ryota Igorogashi probably threw what was the last inning of his career yesterday. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, he announced that he is retiring. So, the Swallows celebrated Ryota Igorogashi Day on Sunday. And... He threw one pitch. He threw an 88-mile-per-hour fastball to Moises Sierra, and he got a ground ball that Alcides Escobar handled easily, and that was that. Dude, yes. what the hell? <laughs> Wasn't Moises Sierra one of the – or am I thinking of someone – I'm thinking of someone else. There's like a Sierra in one of those awful trades the Marlins made, but it wasn't Moises. This is obviously someone a lot younger. Anyway – Good for you, Igarashi. I liked it when he was on the Mets. That's fun. like three random uh, <laughs> of major league <laughs> baseball players you just named in in another. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> this, this is like a, a, tw- a hardcore baseball trivia in twenty years, right? Like you, a first you know line. Of this, guys, they, we're remembering some guys. We are yeah. remembering some mm. guys. Freaking Alcides Escobar. Igarashi was the, uh, he made his professional debut in April 1999, and he lasted until yesterday, so he's the fifth MPB player to pitch in four different decades, so. That's insane. Yeah. Uh, he was a six-time MPB All-Star. He led the Central League in saves in 2004. Matt signed him in 2009, and he was supposed to be the setup man to K-Rod, and, uh, didn't exactly work out. Uh, he spent like half of his time in AAA Buffalo, and then he had a combined over two, well, really over a year and a half, uh, 574 ERA with the Mets, so. Mm. I didn't realize he was that bad. Oh, like, yeah, he was. Not I remember some, him being better than that. Yeah, those are some dark years, but like, I kind of remember him being a little better. I don't want to say that anytime he was brought in, it was like instant game over. Not in a good way, like in a bad way, but that kind of was the situation. And and like you said, that was a dark time for the Mets. So generally, like the they... game started and it was kind of game over for the Mets in those yeah, days. That's you know, you just like got on too. the field. It's like okay, here we go again. It's a family joke, family guy joke. Oh right, and, and the season's over. <laughs> Damn it, freaking Mets. All right, um, so we have some more Mets player news. Hopefully, it'll be some good news in the future. Um, and my computer's going crazy right now. It's beeping. That's the, and it that's the bomb. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Steve, are you printing out a bunch of receipts? <laughs> that's what it sounds like. It sounds like his printer. About a month and a half ago, two months ago, I was at my sister's house, and I, and I accidentally spilled, like, a uh, Coke... Hole from my laptop, no. and 
it didn't fry anything and it still works. But just every now and then it'll just start beeping for no discerning reason that I can figure out. It, it wants more Coke, Steve. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. More Coke the la- for the Coke God. The laptop's mm. like, please, I'm thirsty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> trying to think of how I can work Coke as a segue into this, but I don't know. There's uh, nobody, no, nobody that I know, you know, I mean, it's going to be, we're talking about the Blue Sox right now, and obviously, you know, Manny, but he didn't do any <laughs> Coke that <laughs> I know of, so. <laughs> Something but, about L.A. and Coke. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, though, so the Blue Sox released the name of another player this week that's going to be going over to uh, play in the ABL over the winter. And this week's reveal is shortstop Manny Rodriguez. And he's going to be shot, uh, uh, joining Francisco Alvarez, Carlos Cortez, and Andrew Mitchell. So Manny is a local kid. He was born in Fort Greene. But unfortunately, he grew up rooting for the Red Sox, I guess, because his parents are from the Dominican Republic. And, you know, he also lived in the DR for a time. And obviously, during the late 90s and early 2000s, you had some of the best players in Dominican Republic history playing Major League Baseball. Pedro, Big Papi, Vlad, Sammy Sosa, and of course, his soon-to-be teammate, Manny. So, he uh, moved to Maryland. When he started high school, he went to a private all-boys Catholic prep school down there, and he was pretty good for, um, you know, Maryland baseball. Uh, he landed all four years that he was there, and his team won three Maryland conference titles in his freshman, sophomore, and junior years. But he wasn't drafted in the 2014 draft, so he went to the University of Cincinnati, where he majored in sports administration. And the jump from high school baseball to Division One NCAA baseball is is a big one. And he went from basically being a star in high school to being like a marginal, almost role player with the um, Bearcats. Um, Bearcats, what a good name. Mm-hmm. So basically, in his first three years, he hit 228, 286, 306. And he did deal with a labrum injury in the sophomore year, but that didn't really have you know, that much of an impact on his freshman, none, no impact on his freshman year, obviously, and that much on his junior year. But in his senior year, he changed his approach. He got a lot more aggressive. He swung with a lot more plane, and he hit 292, 374, 589 with 12 homers, <laughs> which is a 500% increase since he had a whole two of them in his first three years combined. And the Mets drafted him in the 10th round of the 2018 draft. He was a senior signing, so he got signed for 10000 bucks. Um, he went to Brooklyn, and I'll be real, he was probably one of the worst regulars on that team and one of the worst players that I've ever seen. Um, Tell us how you really feel, Steve. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he hit 236, 298, 339 with Brooklyn, which is basically worse than everybody on that Cyclones team except for Chandler Avant and Nick Myers. And then last year, well, 2019, he skipped over Columbia completely because of his age and experience and all that. And he got promoted to St. Lucie, and he hit a still not good, but a little bit better, 242, 314, 313. So presumably he'll be at Binghamton or, or Brooklyn, whatever the double-A team is next year, um, assuming that he isn't released. But given the lack of depth at the upper minors in middle infield, I think there's a good chance he'll stick around. Um, How's the defense? Well, it's 
not that great. It's um, like fine, right? Yeah, he He's basically like, hey. he has like the range to be a, a middle of the diamond kind of guy, and he has a solid arm, but he just—I don't know what it is. He's just very error prone. He makes a lot of catching errors. He makes a lot of throwing errors. I don't know if it's just a mental thing, if it's bad positioning, if it's just—I don't know what. But I mean, if you're gonna hit that badly, you gotta be a special defender probably to have a shot at doing anything so yeah yeah he's uh not that no he's 5'10 165 pounds so he's not uh jose altuve and i don't know they're sending him to australia so i don't know what they're thinking i don't know what it means but it's something yeah like there's a reason they must see something. If I feel like they wouldn't do it for no reason, I guess we'll find out. When you said speed not having reps, you know, that's true. That's true. I wonder if they see him as like the future manager type of dude since he was like studying sports management or whatever. I don't know. Maybe that's a useful experience for a guy you want to do that someday. No clue. But plausible. But yep, we wish uh, we wish Manny good luck and we wish both Mannies yes good <laughs> luck in Australia. Uh, yeah, yes, friends of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Learn some things from Manny. I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure Manny is a character, and I'm sure he's. Just as eccentric in person as he appears to be from a fan perspective, but I'm also sure if you get him talking about baseball, he has a lot of uh, really great insights to share. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Guy's been a professional for a very, very long time. So when when a and ball a is hit to the too. listen, young player, when a ball is hit to the wall in center field, you as a left fielder want to stand here so you can <laughs> catch the ball in short center field. <laughs> He's also another guy that has played in four decades. That's true. All right, so for the last couple of weeks, we've been looking back at Sandy Alderson's tenure as Mets GM uh, since Steve Cohen hired him to be uh, team president when the purchase goes through. So that probably means that uh, Brody Van Wagenen's time as Mets GM is limited. So, assuming that he's not going to be around for that much longer, the Brody era is done. Uh, so, we are going to give the same review that we gave Sandy. We're going to look back over at some of Brody's trades and oh boy. free agent oh signings no. and drafts and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, it is uh, decidedly less... Uh, positive, less rosy. good, less rosy. I would say logical, logical, <laughs> coherent, coherent. A lot of a lot of words you could use. Wilponian. <laughs> yes. That is that is the. Uh, is it Wilponian or Ponian? I like Ponian. Like yeah, Ponian? I think Ponian works. Yeah. Just so we're all on the same page here. Yeah. All right, so we're gonna start in February. 2019, the first major minor league contract that he gave out. And the Mets signed free agent shortstop Adani Echeverria. 
and Echeverria wasn't really good at all when he was promoted to the majors. He hit 204, 252, 359, but they went with him over uh, Luis Guillaume to deal with Cano's injury and, and juggling Amid Rosario's time off and all that kind of stuff. And in the end, it, it definitely turned into a low Mets situation, a debacle, because they released him a day before he was supposed to get a million-dollar contractual bonus. So typical Mets. Mm. And then to rub it in, I don't know if you want to say rub it in, but then he went to the Braves, and he was, like, legit really good. So. It's just such a scummy thing. (laughs) And and you you have to think that other minor league free agents notice this shit, right? Oh, of course. Of course. Mm -hmm. Like, between this and the Mesoraco situation, it's like, why would I want to go sign a minor league contract with the Mets? Yep, these are some of those kind of background details that when free agency comes up kind of can can come into play the Mets don't have any foresight obviously and this wasn't even like it wasn't even like a terrible signing either because like he's he's a good defender like he's not a great he's never been a great hitter like he had the hot stuff with the Braves but like those are the type of guys I'm fine with them signing and he they just they just screwed him over for a million (laughs) dollars and then let him Mm -hmm. go division rival and then watch them be good there. Like it's that's the more annoying part than anything else. Like from the signing perspective, it's a good signing, right? You bring yeah. you this is this and like the Rene Rivera style catcher and a speedy veteran fourth outfielder type are like the minor league free agents you should sign every year. Mm-hmm. Like he no reason not to. Has, he always has a floor. Like like God forbid everyone gets hurt and he has to play shortstop for two weeks. Like right. He could play shortstop. Like, he won't hit for you, but he'll do other things for you, which is fine. Unless you're up I remember being, so like, mildly miffed uh, that they didn't just go with Jose Iglesias over Hechevarria. True. But the fact that you can say that points to this not being that big a deal. <laughs> yeah. I do remember Iglesias being like, I only want to play shortstop. And mm-hmm. I don't think that's a thing you could promise someone if you're saying you're going to be a bench guy. Because that's just not feasible to carry a one. And Iglesias wound up going to the Orioles, right? Yeah, and he was yep. like so good offensively this year somehow. Like I don't know what happened. But. Mm-hmm. Point being, signing good, everything after the signing, bad. Yep. Yep. Pretty much. Typical. Well, there goes my computer again. Feed so. me coke. I'm afraid so because then it'll definitely die. All right, so the next uh, free agent signing, minor league free agent signing, came on March 7th, 2019, and the Mets signed free agent outfielder Carlos Gomez to a minor league contract and then invited him to spring training. Gomez obviously didn't contribute much on the field, but you know, making a return to the organization was a nice moment. He definitely seemed excited. Um, you know, started out serviceable, but he kind of faded. Um, and, you know, sometimes things, signings like these invigorate guys, but with Gomez, it just showed that his uh, best baseball days are basically over. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, my PC just uh, completely crashed. Oh, no. <laughs> well, we've run into some technical issues here. You didn't give it the Coke, Steve. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. This is really bad, actually. That's rough. 
Well, I guess we're going to make this a two-part episode of looking back over Brody's uh, tenure <laughs> at the Mets. The last thing that I saw before my computer, it, it didn't give me the blue screen of death, but it did give me the blue window screen saying, uh-oh, something went wrong. We're going to restart your computer and get the uh, data. Uh-huh. But anyway, the last That also thing... describes Brody Van Wagen and Zem, uh, <laughs> Van Wagen and bot has crashed. Please reboot. He's gonna walk into the office one day after Cohen takes over and that's gonna be that screen. And he's gonna be like, hey, <laughs> and they're gonna be like, yeah, you're fired. Well, the last thing that, oh no, geez, it says that my hard drive is not installed. Well, that's not good. Oh boy. This is now a tech support podcast. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> On uh, anyone got a clever name for this? Met themed IT podcast. Send your suggested no. names to whatever the podcast email is. Well, if this actually like completely died, then this is like really bad because literally everything that I had was on my computer. Obviously, all right. I just powered it back up and starting. So let's see. I see the Dell screen. That's a good Are sign. Are we still recording? Yes. Yes. <laughs> ah. <laughs> well, anyway, um, so the last thing I remember seeing before I, we ran into some catastrophic technological problems here <laughs> is that they signed Ruben Tejada to a minor league uh, contract. So it's kind of similar to Carlos Gomez. That was a signing that didn't really work out in terms of production on the field, but it was a nice moment because didn't he know, like randomly hit really well in the minors? Yes. Yeah, he, he hit he like three hundred or something. Yeah, he was like the uh, MVP of Syracuse, basically. It's like him and someone else just ripping up the minors, and they refused to call up either one of them. I forget who the other person was. Dilson. Was it Dilson? I believe. Yeah, I would I would look it up, but um. I mean, I this this goes back to the Adani <laughs> thing, though, right? It's like, hey, you're, signing Adani is fine. Signing Tejada is in the same way fine. But then sticking with them for as long as you do instead of trying something else when there's possibly something else is dumb. And that's what they did. Yep. But, yeah, it was a nice moment for him. And I don't know if he played anywhere this season, assuming that there would have been a actual, like, normal year, he obviously would have gotten a job somewhere. Maybe not at the major league level, but definitely a minor league contract somewhere. And, you know, given how things might have broken, he could have popped up in the majors again. But obviously 2020 is not a normal year. Tahada hit 326-404-471. Jeez. Not bad. Guillaume hit 307-412-452. What the hell? What the hell were they drinking <laughs> at AAA that year? Like, every middle field infielder on the roster just decided to beat the shit out of the ball. Dilson only hit 248, but he hit he had a 330 on-base percentage and a 501 slugging. Jesus. Right, so he just he sold was, out for power. Yeah. Well, when no one wants to give you any opportunities, I guess sometimes you just got to do what you got to do. Truth. Well, Hector Sanago had the highest OPS. Who? 
Hector Santiago. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was like 1,300. Jeez. Not bad. Sam Haggerty was good that year in AAA, which he was ended up being good in Seattle this year. <clears throat> 310, right, well. 83, 4, 5, 24. Okay. That's Thomas Reed's baseball reference. <laughs> well, Power it's better twist. than <laughs> silence, so. Status update. My computer has rebooted. Well, that's I good. do see all of my icons. Nice. Oh, I we're do back. see everything. I'm we're... going to give it like a second or two to let everything kind of like fully repopulate on the desktop. Let it figure out what the hell it's thinking to do. And I'm going to now attempt to open up the podcast script here. A drum roll, please. <laughs> Alright, it's thinking. It's starting to load. Uh-uh. I couldn't do a drum roll for long enough. <sighs> it's moments like these where I wish we had an actual soundboard. <laughs> we would play too much with it. Probably. <laughs> we just hit like the, the DJ noise. Burm, yeah. burm, burm, burm. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. That's it seems like doing. my computer crashed. We're like, bow, 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 bow. <laughs> I mean, long, long story short, so far Brody did a bunch of generic minor league signings that are good to do that they then mismanaged because they're the Mets. They were also two ex-Mets, so I wonder who told him to do that. If we had a soundboard, <laughs> if we had an actual legit soundboard, you know what I, I, I feel like I would have to use for my computer just crashed? Uh-huh. The, the price is right. <laughs> definitely called for in the situation. I mean, we definitely need, we would need a Met sign X Met sound because it's so common. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now it's thinking Microsoft Word is saying that it is starting. So it's taking an excessively long time here, but at least it's working. Kind of, Brian, maybe. Brian may or may not cut this all out. Or he may not. This may be free te- tech support content, you know? Yeah, I mean, if this happens to anybody else, they could follow. Oh, it opened, and it's it's still there, and it's working. Hooray! Wow. IT's, I, uh, IT department, you try turning it off and on again. I totally need to, like, really get on backing everything up, though. Yes, yes, I would highly recommend that. Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, although ironically that was the last, Ruben Tejada was the last minor leagues contract sign that they gave out that year, so we didn't really miss anything. Oh, look at us. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, well, now we'll get to trades, and maybe this is something we would have wanted to skip over. Uh, the first trade that was made in 2018, I mean, excuse me, in 2019, came on December 3rd, 2018, and the Seattle Mariners traded second baseman oh, Robinson no. Cano. Edwin Diaz and Cash in the New York Mets. In exchange for Jay Bruce, Anthony Swarzak, Gerson Batista, Jared Kalinick, and Justin Dunn. I don't and recall this. Yeah, that's probably why my computer crashed. <laughs> it was just like, was fake news, fake news. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll just immediately move on then. And on January 1st... That's not fair. Come on, we got to say something. <laughs> and what is there to be said that hasn't already been said? Whoa. Robinson Cano is really good, and I'm glad he's a Met. Part one. Part two, stop trading assets for relievers. Just go sign them. Yeah. Literally, my only notes I wrote for that was woof. So. <laughs> I Think about how happy th- about this it would have been if it was just Jay Bruce, Justin Dunn, Jerson Batista for Robinson Cano and his money. Right? It would yep. be, like, genius. It would be what, what teams who are in big markets are supposed to do. 
Right. Like, just buying a contract of a player that you could afford, and then you still get the player, because Cano can still play. But, but like, then they had to go all crazy with it, and trade for a reliever, and now here we are, because he wasn't even good. Like, he was good this year, but, like... Yeah, I mean, at the time, I remember I was okay with it. I mean, I wasn't happy with losing Kalinick or Dunn, but it was like, okay, we're getting back Cano and Diaz, so, okay. But then they had, uh, pretty bad seasons, and it just soured the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was dependent on him being really good. Like, it, like if Edwin Diaz was the best reliever in the league, again, you could be like, well, you traded for the best reliever in the league, who's a Met for like five years. It's mm-hmm. kind of amazing that, like, Kellenick hit his 95th percentile prospect oh, yeah. outcome, and Diaz hit his 10th percentile, percentile outcome. Worst yeah. income, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Very Metsian. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, next, on January 5th, 2019, the Mets made another trade, and the Milwaukee Brewers traded center fielder Keon Broxson to the Mets in exchange for right-hander Adam Hill, right-hander Bobby Wall, and second baseman Felix Valerio. And neither Adam Hill or Bobby Wall had tremendous upside, and Felix Valerio was like a kind of a light-hitting middle infielder who doesn't have too much upside either, in my opinion, so... It's not like the Mets gave up anything great, but it was just a waste of resources, which is something that we're going to see is going to become a recurring theme in Brody's time as GM. Because Broxton was at best, you know, uh, well, maybe not at best, but Broxton was, for the better part of his career, a backup outfielder, some emphasis on speed, defense, a little bit of power. And there were plenty of guys like that on the free agent market at the time that actually ended up signing, you know, minor league contracts or major league contracts with very little money after the trade went down. Cameron Mabin was still a free agent to that point. John Jay, Josh Harrison, Eric Young Jr., Gerardo Parra. And then if you didn't necessarily want to go for defense and wanted a little more emphasis on power, there were some veterans that signed for like nothing like Grandison, Hunter Pence. So this whole thing could have been avoided. Trading for something that doesn't need to be traded for. <laughs> the Brody Van mm-hmm. Wagon and General Manager. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yep. <laughs> it was just like, why would you do that? Just sign. Guys, what? you never forget your first. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> it was just, yeah. Now, That's literally, the literal logic behind all of this. <laughs> yeah. He just, he became addicted to trades. It's like that uh, <laughs> the episode of South Park where it was the WWF uh parody. Of course you're referencing the wrestling episode of South Park. <laughs> just just this just this one line though, and like Cartman's character was addicted to abortions. Alright <laughs> Brody Van Wagner is just addicted <laughs> to trades. Jesus. Y'all got any more of them trades? <laughs> well, um, so literally one day after he made this trade, he made another one and he traded Kevin Ploiecki to the Cleveland Indians in exchange for Walker Lockett and Sam Haggerty. Everybody and lost in that one. This one makes yeah. me like angrier though than I think any of the other ones. Why? Because it subjected us to Walker Lockett. 
for the next two years. And also, Kevin Pulecki, like, yeah, he's not great, but... He he was good (laughs) this year. Yeah, and you were starting... Like, Tomas Nito was your backup for a year when Tomas Nito probably needed to be a AAA. That's a fair point, honestly. Not great. I mean, it's it's one thing when you have Wilson Ramos and Travis Darnot, and... Like, yeah, they're both injury-prone. You should probably have a reliable backup. But in theory, one of them is always going to be healthy, so you can start the other. Um, uh, but then when you rage-cut... <laughs> we rage-cut Travis Darno, and then suddenly you only have uh, the made-of-glass Wilson Ramos and Thomas Nito. Suddenly you wish you had Kevin Plawecki back. But Yeah. Well, I think, you know, mentioning that Brody from Wagner's addicted to trades, I think, really is apt because literally on the same day as this trade, he made a second trade. And this one worked out a little better, I guess. But the Mets sent second baseman Luis Santana, outfielder Ross Adolph, and catcher Scott Manea to the Houston Astros in exchange for outfielder, quote-unquote, J.D. Davis, and shortstop Cody Bohannock. I remember being annoyed they traded Adolph. And Santana. Yeah. I mean, honestly, even in retrospect, with everything that has happened since, I would still not make this deal because I I think I would. I, think I, I, would. I my, here's here's my take on it, right? And I was definitely annoyed with it at the time, but I think this is justifiable if you think you have an eval if you think you have an evaluation edge over the team you're trading with, Because right? J D Davis was. Perhaps not at the moment of this trade, but at one point was a better prospect than any of the prospects you traded. And if you're, and if you trust your evaluators to say, yeah, the Astros are misevaluating this guy or misusing him, or we think we can get more out of him by doing X because we can develop him better, then yeah, that's the, this is the kind of trade you make. I just didn't trust them to have that edge because. Somehow they did too. Right. The fact that they pulled it off is is incredible. But in a vacuum, I'm looking at this like this is the Mets, one of the most incompetent teams in baseball, trying to get an evaluation slash development edge over the Astros. One of the I mean, this was before the whole cheating scandal, but one of the more banging scheme. Yeah. Banging scheme. Well, (laughs) the trash can. So I, I think this is justifiable. I think it's an okay concept. I was probably too harsh on it at the time, but I would still question their ability to do it again. Yeah, I think that's where I stand too. Like, it's not the type of trade this is is trading prospects for another prospect because you think that you could get an edge is fine, like you said. But when it's the Astros, especially then, we didn't know that they were like cheating. We thought they were just like really, really smart. <laughs> Um, which they probably are actually really smart too. Like they're just doing <laughs> both. But like the Mets are gonna get screwed by the Astros like nine times out of ten. Yep. Like this is the one time they won. And yep. even if JD Davis, he pro- like if the DH goes, he might not have a spot long term. They might have to trade him at some point to like an American League team. You could you're probably gonna get prospects back better than you traded. Mm-hmm. That's, so yep, that's what I was gonna say. I I still don't. I still wouldn't. Like I said, I still would not make this trade. I don't think that it was necessary. I don't think that his production was really that great that it's just like, wow, okay, the guys that we gave up would be far inferior. But taking all that into account and conceptualizing that he does not really have a place on this team going forward, most likely, 
and that they will get something back when they trade him, then the full circle of the whole situation I'm okay with. Yeah, I'm I'm assuming that they're going to end up with better prospects from a J.D. Davis trade yeah. that they trade him out because he's he's a legitimately good major league hitter. Like, he's shown that at this point. Like, you can't really argue against it. The defense is his problem, and if he was a competent third baseman, then we would just stick him there and call it a day, but... I, mean, I don't this, any this is the kind of shit the Rays do on a routine basis. Yes. And they don't get a <laughs> – and this is a bigger hit than the Rays usually get. But they just always eke out a 2%, 5%, 10% advantage because they just know they can evaluate and develop better. And in an ideal world, this is the trade your team makes often. I just didn't have faith, faith that they could, and I still don't have faith that they can. But maybe things will change now. Yeah, hopefully well, it'll be different with new people involved. Speaking of the Rays, the Mets made their very next trade with those oh, Tampa no. Bay Rays. <laughs> <laughs> and on May 6th, they traded a player to be named later for right-hand pitcher Wilmer Font. And oh. that player to be named later would become Neraldo Catalina. This and is the bad side of the of the trades that we were talking about. Yeah, I mean, the odds of Catalina working out are still... On the low side, because most IFAs don't work out, but just the process was terrible. That they basically threw anything away for, you know, like 30 sucky innings and then just got rid of him anyway. For, like, cash. Yeah, they, they just would have, yeah, they would have been just better calling up somebody, one of their depth pitchers, or even signing, like, random, like, Bartolo Colon that was, like, supposedly working out and wanted to get back into baseball. Like, he probably would have been a better pitcher and better for this situation the Mets were in than what they did. I mean, if if the Mets were like, here, here's some money, Rays, give us one more font, sure, I don't care. Mm-hmm. But, but they traded an actual person and, like, an actual player who has at least some type of future that you mm-hmm. could get excited about, like, for Wilmer Font, like, it's just so annoying. Yeah, and he was not he so. was terrible. Wilmer Font was awful, mm-hmm. <laughs> like just truly awful. Ugh. It's so stupid. Not what you want to see. No, you hate to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of months later, now July twenty eighth, the Toronto Blue Jays traded right hand pitcher um, Marcus Stroman and Cash to the Mets. In exchange for left-hander Anthony Kay and right-hander Simeon Woods Richardson. And at the time, pretty good move. And even now that Stroman opted out and he didn't pitch in 2020 and he's a free agent now, I'm still fine with the move in retrospect. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. I don't think I, I don't think it fits like my idealized styling. I don't know how to say this. If I was a GM, I wouldn't have done it. But from an objective standpoint, it's fine. It's a good. It's an idea that makes sense. And the Mets were kind of contending a little bit at the time. Stroman could have pushed them over the edge. Plus, he had another year of control. He is one of the best free agent pitchers that are available over this winter. So, having that you know connection with him already maybe will help. Bring him back. Bring yeah. him back. So, like, yeah. I would say if this wasn't a team run by Brody Van Wagen and, and, you know, a team that was more in tune with modern baseball, Stroman would have already been extended and this would have been a great deal. Well, they yes. would have, they would have extended him the same day. 
Yeah, like um, that, that's what good teams do these days is they trade like the Dodgers with Betts, you know, the Cardinals with Goldschmidt. Like you trade for an expiring asset that, you know, isn't as valuable because it's expiring and then you turn it into a long-term thing. Yeah. You, that's you another, basically... another common theme of the Brody <laughs> Van Wagenen era is that this kind of thinking has not been a thing. You basically pay for an exclusive rights. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then you, you use it because like the Dodgers, like, yes, like they traded stuff for Mookie Betts and they could have waited, but now they didn't. And Mookie but, Betts. Yeah. Dodgers. And now they have Mookie Betts, you know, for the foreseeable future. Yeah. <laughs> Must be nice. Must be nice. Well, the very next day after this trade went down, the Mets made another trade and they sent left-hander Jason Vargas to the Philadelphia Phillies in exchange for catcher Austin Bozart. And Vargas was not great by any stretch of the imagination in 2019. He had a, a 401 ERA in 94 and a third innings, but he was better than he was in 2018. And maybe if the Mets were willing to eat some of the money that was owed to him, they could have gotten back something that might have some value, like maybe a flawed reliever or a defensive specialist or something like that. But instead, they got back... uh Brady Wilpon's uh, former teammate. So. Uh, I I have trouble recalling a trade. I could care couldn't care less yeah. about. It's like so. The whatever. only thing I will say about this trade is it's another like example of the big theme surrounding Brody Van Wagen and the Wilpons, which is that they have a tendency to hire only people they know, mm-hmm. <laughs> regardless of anything. <laughs> I mean, you weren't going to be getting back much from Jason Vargas, even if you ate the rest of his contract. But exactly. Like, who you cares? could have gotten but back something better. But it just looks funny. <laughs> yeah. Well, thankfully, that was the last trade that happened in 2019. So we'll move over to the first draft that he was involved in. And the Mets picked 12th overall. And with that pick, they picked uh, third baseman Brett Baby. I... Wasn't a fan of the pick necessarily. I liked some of the prep pitchers that were available at that point better. But it's not like anybody separated themselves from the pack to make Brady uh, Brady a bad pick or anything like that. So it's just a fine pick for now. Hmm. Nobody has, you know, on on any national prospect list from BP or BA or, or MLB or anything, nobody has anyone particularly higher on Betty that, that uh, was drafted after him, so it's just not a big deal. And obviously he has uh, a lot of power potential, so it seems like a, a fine pick for the spot. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I was really, really hoping Hunter Bishop would make it there, and they missed by two spots. I know. That was getting close there. I thought it was actually yeah. going to happen. Similar to, um, we had a similar situation where we were talking about uh, the Justin Dunn pick or the David Peterson. I forget which one, but where Blake Rutherford went one pick before, right? Or, oh, uh, Peterson. That was yeah, Peter. that, was, that was Peterson. Okay, where it's like that, that's the. It, so if, if Bishop had still been on the board and they took Beatty, I would have been annoyed, but in, uh, he wasn't, so I don't have a strong take. They simply yeah. should have traded up. Yes, yes, <laughs> d- d- should have just trade up, you know. Just trade for the first pick. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. And now IFAs that were signed that year, um, quite a few. Outfielder Alexander Ramirez, he signed for two million dollars. 
catcher Fernando Villalobos signed for 400000 Outfielder Eric Santana signed for 385000 Outfielder Ural Martinez signed for 335000 Shortstop Victor Gonzalez signed for 250000 Shortstop Junior Tillian signed for 185000 Shortstop Ismael Monegro signed for 125000 And Robert Dominguez signed for ninety. And then another right-hander, Jose Acuna, don't have any signing info for him, but he's another guy that you know has a solid uh, fastball to work with. So, so what do we think of this strategy? Like, they didn't, they obviously didn't sign any of the like the really, really big names. You get three to five million ish, or, or maybe a little bit more or less. They signed a lot really of the second that. tier. Hmm? They've never really done that, right? Right. Group. So, so I'm wondering if this is this is just a better strategy, period, though, because I don't know that the success rate on those guys is that much higher than the second tier guys. And if you get, could get like ten of them, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's interesting. I, I don't have the data to back up that that hypothesis, but it's an interesting idea. Yeah, it's it's tough. It's tough for us to sit here and say either way because, like, it's. The minor leagues are already random, <laughs> and then when you add in <laughs> such younger ages on top of it, it's it's so hard to. I, that's why, I, like, I don't really mind the the the, the quantity take because yeah. there's a higher chance of one of them hitting than if you take just sign two people, then all your eggs are in that basket. Right. Exactly. I mean, and they're, unless... spe- they're spending the money, right? They're not pocketing yeah. the IFA money. That's <laughs> the most important it, thing. It's else. not like they're just sitting around with it, like. Like hanging out with some IFA money, like yep. they're they're spending it, they're using it, they're just using it in a, a way to spread it around to get more bodies in the minor leagues. Yep, I think that unless you are targeting and spend like your whole sum on like a guy that's heads and shoulders above everybody else, like a Jason Dominguez with the Yankees uh, yes. last year, uh, then it's a fine strategy because. I mean, but even then, there's been plenty of those guys who just, like, uh, Kevin Maiton, for instance, just totally flamed out. Yeah, Franklin Barreto was one of those guys. Yeah. He's oh, Franklin Barreto. Guy. Uh, even for the Mets, uh, Ke- the shortstop, Kenny Hernandez. Kenny Hernandez. Yeah. Well, even, even more notable than that was the same IFA class that they signed Andres Jimenez in. They basically made two big signings. It was Jimenez and it was Gregory Guerrero. Right. Gregory Guerrero has yeah. not typically been a very you're good lucky player. if one of the two. Right. If you have like two big signings, you're lucky if one breaks yeah. reasonably well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to even say that Guerrero got more money. I think it was like yeah, 1.5 million to 1.2. Might have been. Might have to switch that. It might have been Jimenez that got the more, but still. But yeah, uh, unless you're putting your money into a guy that seems that he's going to be like a definite guy, then. I'm fine with the strategy of spreading the wealth around. Yep. Me too. All right, so that was 2019. I mean, did we, we, did we mention Matthew Allen in the draft, or? Uh, I'm, I'm, I tried Have we gotten about, to the draft? Yeah, we were just talking about baby. <laughs> Ken, yeah. where are you? <laughs> I mean, that, that kind of thing, I feel like it's, once you get past this first round, it's so variable that, you can't really complain. Like, if the Mets didn't sign Allen, I wouldn't be able to complain because. Still, it seemed like they had a very, they had like an interesting and clear strategy that they executed well in that draft where it was like, hey, Allen's still on the board. We're going to take him in the third and then just do senior picks the rest of the way. And 
that's creative. It got them a high-end talent. I think Brody and whoever else was in, in that room deserves some credit for coming up with and executing that strategy. Yes, it was definitely different, very different from the Mets' usual strategy, and it worked out, and they all deserve credit. Matt, I mean, Allen's probably the best prospect in the system now. Mauricio, I guess. Yeah, I mean, basically, it's kind of one, two, three, whatever order you want to put it in. Mauricio, Alvarez, Allen. Yeah. And then everyone else after that. Yeah. Yeah. The Tebow. Well, Tebow's zero, That's true, actually. He's four, so. (laughs) Exactly. And everyone else after that. Mm. All right, so 2020 now, the first... um, major minor league signing they did was on December 3rd, 2019, and they signed free agent left-hander Chasen Shreve to a minor league contract. And Shreve was, like, never necessarily a dominant reliever at any point, but he was definitely an undervalued asset because he spent basically all of 2019 in AAA, and the Mets correctly identified that he was going to perform well in the majors. So good for Brody and company. I just that he was like good on the major league roster and they just wouldn't use him for weeks at a time. It was very strange. <laughs> the way they used him was like, all right, you're gonna pitch five innings this game, and then I will see you later in two weeks from now. And yeah. then in two weeks he pitched five more innings in a game. It was just like, when did he become like a pseudo spot starter? Yeah, <laughs> and it worked. Like I'm not saying it didn't. Obviously it worked, but it was just bizarre. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good value for a minor league reliever though. Yep. Um, the next signing happened on January 27th, and the Mets signed free agent right-hand pitcher Rob Whalen to a minor league contract. Whalen ended up not playing at all, but given all of his depression and anxiety issues and everything else, and how that all basically caused him to retire, it was nice to see that he was actually well enough to, you know, put himself back out there. And, you know, it sucks that he didn't actually pitch competitively, but another one of those kind of, like, nice reunited, right, reunited stories. I mean, hey, I'll, I'll throw him a minor league contract every year until he decides not to want to do it anymore, you know? Yeah, like, I mean, yeah. most likely we're going to have minor league baseball next year, so give him a contract, see if he's able to do it. All right, so now we'll get to trades <laughs> again. We have plenty of them. Um, this first one isn't exactly a trade, but close enough. So on November 4th, 2019, the Mets claimed Steven Gonsalves off of waivers from the Twins. And in a vacuum, it was a really solid move because he cost nothing. Mm-hmm. And he instantly became like their sixth or seventh starter. Yeah. Whatever he was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ken was the only one that actually put him in the, in his individual top 25 list. Uh, he was at 22, but with the Mets system, you know, the lines are so blurry that, that at that point you could make a case for him, definitely. And then he was DFA'd in July, a move that didn't make too much sense since there was plenty of dead weight on the 40-man roster already. And then he got picked up by the Red Sox. So, I don't know. And was The only team, a team with somehow less pitching than the Mets. Yeah. He didn't actually crack their rotation, and their depth is super thin. So, I don't know... If that's good for Gonsalves, he actually got to, the, the Red Sox actually DFA'd him again, but he went unclaimed. So I don't know what that says about Gonsalves, but on the surface, he was like an interesting guy. Um, you know, but it is what it is. 
Mets don't need to worry about him anymore. Yep. So now the first actual trade took place on December 5th. And the Astros traded center fielder Jake Mersnick to the Mets in exchange for left-hander Blake Taylor and outfielder Kennedy Corona. And basically, this was terrible process on day one, and everything turned out to be basically worst possible case scenario for the Mets. <laughs> this is Keon Broxton, the Keon Broxton trade, but worse because yeah. they traded an actually interesting pitcher in the process. And Call it the uh, Keon Broxton trade to Electric Boogaloo? Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like, trading Bobby Wall and Adam Hill, like, it's dumb, but I'm not that angry about it because it's Bobby Wall and Adam Hill. Trading Blake Taylor, who was coming off a impressive season and had the stuff that made, stuff that made him look like a viable relief prospect to do the same damn thing you did last year that didn't work. (laughs) And again, it didn't work. It's like, what are you doing? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice. Shame on you again, I guess. I I don't know. Well, what what do you say if it happens a third time? Because there's a great, there's a great scene in Futurama <laughs> where Amy Amy is like, "Fool me seven times. Shame on you. <laughs> Fool me eight or more times. Shame on me." Well, I think that we're getting to the that point with Brody because on August second, uh, the Mets traded for outfielder Billy Hamilton. And they sent right-hander Jordan Humphreys to the San Francisco Giants in order to complete that trade. And again, just like with the Gonzalez situation, there's dead weight on the 40-man roster. Hunter Strickland was just sitting there twiddling his thumbs. And it was unnecessary for Humphreys to get DFA'd in the first place. I guess if you want to look at it in a certain perspective... There's some silver lining that the Mets are able to get back something instead of just losing Humphreys completely. He shouldn't have even been DFA'd in the first place. No, he shouldn't have been DFA'd in the first place. And it sucks that Hamilton was bad because I do like Hamilton. Like, he's a kind of throwback guy that you don't see players have that kind of skill set anymore. Obviously, he's like insanely fast, so that's cool. And he just seemed like an overall, like, good guy. But he just can't hit his way out of a paper bag, so oh well. And honestly, I was never that high on Humphreys to begin with, and I'm not going to say that losing him didn't really matter, but it's not like he was the next, you know, uh, DeGrom or anything like that. But at the end of the day, it was just terrible roster management, and you don't want to lose guys just willy-nilly like that. So a couple of days after that, the Mets made another trade, and they received from the Texas Rangers right-handed pitcher Ariel Hirado in exchange for a player to be named later, who turned out to be Stephen Valines, plus some cash. I think that Alexa played Esposito. <laughs> I think that it it stings a little bit more for us since we're Valines fans, but it kind of was a fair trade ultimately. The Mets didn't get you know. The, the Mets didn't give up anything too much, and the guy that they got back actually might be more valuable than the lines since he's he's younger, he's a starter, and at least he showed that he can get some MLB outs, whereas the lines is still a question mark in that regard. But it just sucks that it was the lines. Yeah. So so uh, I, they, they, this is a good example of the problem, though, right? They trade Adam Hill 
Bobby Wall, Blake Taylor, and uh, Jordan Humphreys, and then say, "Oh shit, we need someone to start," and then trade and go trade for Arrow Horado. That's yeah. It's basically like, oh well, we've run out of people. They traded all those guys. I might add for people that are were no longer on the roster. Basically, like, well, they did have a guy that could have in theory started, but a couple of weeks after this trade, they traded him <laughs> <laughs> on oh, August thirty first. In the first of a flurry of moves on the trade deadline, they sent left-handed pitcher Kevin Smith and a player to be named later. In it to the uh, Baltimore Orioles in exchange for right-handed reliever Miguel Castro. And uh, very similar to the move with the lines and Gerardo, like, you can, it's kind of like a net neutral, I guess. You know, both sides maybe benefit from from this move, so. To me, this is another evaluation bet trade. Yeah, exactly. It's against the Orioles, so I'm slightly more uh, optimistic. (laughs) Also, like, I'm a sucker for strikeouts. Miguel Castro strikes out a load of people, and it's like, hey, you fix one thing, maybe he's a top-tier reliever. I don't think – like, I think Miguel Castro in his present form is just as valuable as Kevin Smith will ever be as, mm-hmm. like, a fifth starter, and there's mm-hmm. an easier path to Miguel Castro being more than that than there is for Kevin Smith to be a it's easier to imagine you adjust one thing and Castro gets better control than it is to see Kevin Smith gaining six miles per hour or being uh, Kyle Hendricks. Yep. Agreed. And now the Mets made two other trades that day, and neither one of them are resolved. So we'll see. But they sent a player to be named later to the Texas Rangers in exchange for third baseman Todd Frazier. And another player to be named later for catcher Robinson Chirinos. So I am scared to see who the Mets give up because the guys that the Mets are going to be sending are either going to be upper level depth that there's question marks because the stuff isn't outstanding or anything like that, but they just haven't gotten shots like a Blake Taylor or like a Stephen Valines, or they're going to be sending low level lottery card guys like Noraldo Catalina. So it's worrisome. I would yeah. much have rather seen the Mets do nothing and keep those kinds of players than than give them up for a Frazier or Chirinos, who basically added nothing uh, to the Mets in a season where they were at best on the fringes of playoff contention. It's just dumb. Yeah, it is just dumb. The the, the, the Chirinos one at least was like, okay, our catching depth is bad right now, but why do they trade for Todd Frazier? They already have too many too many position players. Like what? I don't know. It made no sense. It still doesn't make any sense. I'm also sensing a theme there too. Former yeah. Met, you say? Mm. Yes. <laughs> no, things that don't make any sense. Oh. oh. <laughs> Why not both? Former Met. Uh, Tom Trevor's own, of course. All right. Uh, now we'll look at the draft. And the Mets selected 19th overall that year. Well, that year. This year. And with the pick, they selected outfielder, center fielder, Pete Crow Armstrong. And, you know, I, we went over this plenty on our podcast, draft podcast episodes. PCA was a fine pick in a vacuum. Probably the best of the players that were expected and projected to be around number 19. But Garrett Mitchell dropped from 14-ish to 
15-ish, wherever most of the mock drafts had him. And he was available to the Mets. And he's basically like the safer, higher upside version of PCA. He's like, if, if, if this is Pokemon, he's the evolved form of PCA. Jesus Christ. And the Mets <laughs> just, I don't know, they they didn't go with him. So I don't it know. troubles me that the Brewers, who I also consider to be a smart team, were like very happy to snag him up a couple picks later. So right after, not even a couple of picks. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. So I'm 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 still disappointed in that, but Peter Armstrong's fine. Yeah, he's like I said, in a vacuum, he's fine, and it would be probably the best pick of the guys that could have been available. But Mitchell was available, and sorry. Um, and now IFA signings for uh, 2020 and 2021, and there have been no real signings because Major League Baseball put a lid on everything because of coronavirus. So instead of the uh, doors officially opening on July 2nd, the official signings are now going to begin on January 15th, 2021. Um, in most cases, you know, players, the agents, teams, they all have unofficial deals in place. So we're able to get reports of, you know, who's probably going to be going where from the indomitable Ben Badler of Baseball America. And he has reported that the Mets don't have any big seven-figure signings lined up, and instead they have a bunch of six-figure deals worked out. So like we were just talking about a couple of minutes before, looks like they're going to be stretching their money uh, around a bit. Their strategy seems to be focus early on the MLB draft, like the actual draft. And then spread your money out in the IFA. It's like the exact opposite thing. It's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it's if it's an in tandem situation, like mm. like they're looking at it as one big thing, like one big influx of young talent, and they're saying we could get the the closer to the major league impact guys in the draft, and then fill out the rest of our minor the, our lower minors with IFA guys by spreading all that money around. Because that's an interesting thought. Because they did it twice now, this this front office did the exact same thing twice because they did the same thing in this draft. It was mm-hmm. less like exciting this time because it wasn't Matthew Allen in the third round, but still it was like the same general idea. So I wonder if they look at it as like a one big draft, and they're saying this is a way to do both. Like and their and their goal is to like say we're going to invest all our money in the people we have the or most of our. Big money and the people we had the maximum information on, yeah. that being the top the top guys in the MLB draft, and then we're taking senior signs for cheap and spreading money everywhere in the IFA process. Because That's the IFA market is also a, a shit show. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. So I wonder a, if that's I wonder if that's intended. That's a really coherent thought, actually. Well, although the Mets don't have any big names lined up, most likely. Uh, Badler did report a couple of days ago that the Mets and the Dodgers have shown a lot of interest in one particular Dominican right-hander, Harlan Susana, who is very similar to Robert Dominguez in that he showed a lot of growth and improvement over the past year, and he's kind of a late bloomer with a really good uh, physical stature and, and a high 90s fastball. So the Mets and the Dodgers... Um, you know, on paper, it should be very evenly matched in terms of the amount of spending ability. In reality, that has not been the case. <laughs> but it would be, uh, it would be cool to see if the Mets could sign this guy too, because if that is the case, that would be like two coups back to back picking up, you know, these kind of 
undervalued, underscouted guys who then bloom late in their I don't want to say late in their careers because I mean we're talking about like eighteen year old kids, nineteen year old kids. But late in this process. Yes, late in this process. Absolutely, it'd be nice. I mean, always, always. Uh, I, I imagine there are a lot of these guys who slip through the cracks. Like physical development, especially when you're late teens, is not linear. So I'm. Just, I wonder how many of these guys just don't get noticed because no one's looking at them. Yeah, yeah a lot. I'm sure. I mean, the Mets got Rafael Montero this way, who who obviously never turned into a stud or anything, but getting a cromulent major league pitcher out of this is is something in and of itself. I mean, Montero went on to actually pitch in the majors and have success at times, which is like the 99.99999% outcome for Mm -hmm. the best-case scenario of these people. So definitely can't argue with him. So, yeah, that was the Brody Van Wagenen era, and I, I guess the best way to describe it is just trades. Have you have you got more trades, like he said? He's just Walmart Jerry DePoto, really. Like, <laughs> <laughs> It's yeah. like if, if you want McDonald's, but your mom's like, we have McDonald's at home, and it's like not McDonald's. It's, oh, like, it's, Brody, Brody, it's Brody Van Wagenen. We have Jerry DePoto at home. And it's, it's Brody, and you're just like, damn. Okay. Yeah, that's... Uh... I'm disappointed you said McDonald's and not Wendy's, the far superior burger option. Oh, yes, Wendy's is... is well, if if your mom turns down Wendy's, she's crazy. Yeah. I had Wendy's the other day. It was very good. Wendy's is so good. This is now an official Wendy's podcast. Gone from Mets <laughs> to IT to Mets to Wendy's. You know, great, great. We cover a lot of we cover a lot of bases, so I hope that our one listener Ringo Star is is happy. <laughs> Join us next week for our grunge metal discussion. I am a big fan of grunge. Of course you are, Steve. Tool is <laughs> <laughs> uh. the best. Tool's not Tool's not grunge, but they are the best band objectively. Anyway, uh, if anyone has any questions, comments, or whatever. You could send or suggestions in. for the name of the IT version of this podcast. Yes, so, or or suggestions about what I could do to fix my computer. Please send me an email at our email address from complex to queens at uh, gmail.com. You could follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. <clears throat> I'm at Steve Saipa. Lucas is at Elvajos343. Ken is at Ken1191. And Thomas is at ZedMetSeason, SZN. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast from. Rate and review it. And, of course, thank you for listening. Thank you, Ringo. And we'll be back next week. And until then, love the Mets. Love the Mets.